Next quarter, we're going to have Mira Jacob, the um, um, graphic novelist, but who's just published her first, um, you know, non-graphic novel. Um, she's going to be here. Um, the wonderful uh, uh, Chicano uh, poet, uh, queer Chicano poet, um, Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, who's just published a memoir called Children of the Land about his experience as an undocumented um person in the United States is also going to be here. Um, Anna Joy Springer, um, our, one of our amazing writing faculty members, is going to be reading. So there's a lot of exciting things happening next year. So just because you aren't in the class anymore, that makes you, forces you at the point of a sword to show up on Wednesday evenings doesn't mean there are, is not like some incredible things also happening um, uh, happening in, in 2020. Um, so with that, I'm going to introduce uh, one of our um, great MFA students, Adriana Tosen, to do the official introduction. Thank you. Beware and warning. This introduction is different from other introductions. <laughs> you and you alone are in charge of what happens in this introduction. Really, I'm like for real, so please participate. Yeah. <laughs> it's 5 p.m. on November 20th, 2019, and you are sitting in the audience at the new writing series in the Seuss Room at Geisel Library, UC San Diego. You recognize that the university was built on the unceded territory of the Kumeyaay Nation. You are here to listen to Catherine Factor, author, teacher, artist, and in her own words, lit witch. If you want to hear about Catherine Factor's professional biography, please, please raise your hand with your thumb pointing up. If you want to hear about Catherine Factor's 2019 Choose Your Own Adventure novel, Spies Matahari, please raise your hand with your thumb pointing down. <laughs> if you want this introduction to be over, you have died. Okay. Um, so I think I saw more thumbs pointing down. I'm going to start with the book, but I'm going to come back to the biography because in a choose-your-own-adventure, you have to read every ending. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, <laughs> I had to organize myself here. Uh, all right. If you want to hear about the book's thoughtful exploration of Margarita Zell's life, please raise your hand with a thumb pointing up. And if you want to hear about the book's poetic explorations of Balinese culture, please raise your hand with a thumb pointing down. Okay. I'm going to read all of it. Okay. Um, Zell's relationship, uh, Zell, Margarita Zell, stage name Matahari. Um, her relationship to Balinese culture and dance is obviously complicated, if not sometimes a troubling one. Her very presence in Bali was possible because Bali had, in 1895, um, been colonized for a while by the Dutch. Imperialism and cultural appropriation are really difficult topics to tackle in a children's novel about spying, but Factor manages to do so subtly. In addition to carefully introducing her young readers to sp specific beliefs and practices of Balinese Hinduism, Factor reminds readers that if you take something from a culture or a god, you have to leave something behind. This is a quote from the book. Um, and when Shiva himself confronts Zell for learning Balinese dance without learning about its religious and cultural contexts. Different modes of belief sneak into even the explicitly secular storylines, as when one of the spying branches leads to Zell realizing, quote, everything is an illusion and dying, quote, overloaded with tooth. 
which I giggled at. Um, okay. So if you would like to hear more about Catherine Factor's professional biography, please raise your thumb up. If you want to hear about the espionage career of Matahari, please raise your thumb down. Okay, I'm seeing more down. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for going along with us, you guys. Um, Okay, Spies Matahari is a joyful romp of a novel through the imagined lives of Marguerite Zell, known worldwide by her stage name Matahari, or The Eye of Dawn in Malay, which is the language spoken in Bali. Born in the Netherlands, Zell traveled to Bali with her husband. When she returned to Paris after the death of her son, she brought Balinese dances with her and soon skyrocketed to fame. During World War I, she seems to have been recruited by Germany as a spy, then in an act of counter-espionage, was falsely recruited by France. The details of her actual spy career are, are a bit contested, but eventually it led to her execution by French firing squad, a sentence that was certainly impacted by her gender, her exoticized image, and her self-exoticizing right as part of her self-marketing, and her status as a sex symbol, which is a lot to handle in a children's book. Um, however, Factor manages to dance nimbly through Matahari's life, borrowing pertinent details to imagine both relatively plausible possibilities including Zell's death at the hands of her actual accuser, to more metaphysical ends, um, including Zell transcending her very humanness while learning wisdom from Ganesha. Factor's writing offers humor, suspense, and tenderness in a concise interactive package, uh, which is family friendly. Uh, okay, if you want to hear more about Catherine Factor's professional biography, please raise your hand with the thumb pointing up. If you want to listen to Catherine Factor read, wait a couple more minutes or alternately transcend your own humanness and, you know, contemplate wisdom for all eternity and you'll be fine. Okay, okay, great. Glad we all agreed. Um, Catherine Factor is not only a skilled writer, but as is evident through her poetry, her book, and her website, a keen student of humans' relationships with each other, with music, with writing of art, and with mythology. Although no one's writing can be reduced to a list of accomplishments, Factor has many. She is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop and has taught at institutions including the University of Iowa, Concordia University, Idlewild Arts Academy, and Interlochen Arts Academy, among other summer programs. She's also been a semifinalist in the Madeline Plonsker Lake Forest Emerging Writers Award, the Beyond Baroque Poetry Prize, and the Cleveland State University First Book Prize. Her poems and audio work have been published in Interim, the Conversant, Quarterly West, Poets for Living Waters, The Equalizer Diagram, which is actually one of my favorite journals, Colorado Review, Cold Fronts Poets Off Poetry on techsound.org and SoundCloud. Um, she's a recipient of the Augustana Writers Workshop Fellowship and grants from the Iowa Arts Council, Mercy Corps, and the Arts Enterprise Laboratory. In 2019, she published her first Choose Your Own Adventure novel, Spies Matahari, which will be followed next year by Spies Houdini, which is coming out um, in May. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, okay. In conclusion, thank you for listening. This introduction was so involved that you have died from exhaustion. Um, wait, have you? You flutter open your eyes. Nah, you just dozed off for a few minutes. It's still November, and Catherine Factor is about to offer you an adventure. So I'd like to welcome Factor to the stage. Thank you so much. I think I've reached peak introduction. That was incredible. I'm so honored to be here, and thank you, Cosm, someone, a poet and person who 
I admire and may even be making an appearance in my next book, um, <laughs> Spies Houdini. So that'll be out by Choose in May, if not for any other reason. <laughs> you can see if you can find the dangerous costume <laughs> somewhere in the branch of the Coney Island Freak Show. So <laughs> thank you. Um, thanks to the university. Thanks so much to Nina. I love being a part of this very storied place with a um, library that looks like a choose-your-own-adventure in its structure and also a library archive um, that is so full of everything that makes um, making art worth its salt, which is to experiment, to play, and to, you know, game it as much as possible. Um, I'd love to talk about interactive fiction in the, any of my topics and more about Matahari's life in the Q&A. Um, and I think what we'll do is I'll read from the choose, and you will be choosing. You all will be Matahari in this. Um, and then I'll, we'll do something with some poems. Does that sound good? So this is going to have the visual component to it. The illustrator, Chloe Nicholas, um, did an incredible job uh, rendering the story and all its many branches and facets. So when you vote by raise of hands, which page or branch that we'll be following, I'll also instruct Nina to switch slides. So there might be a little bit of a jostling there, but um, let's get started. So the first slide, slide... You peer out of the crowd from behind the curtains of the rustic theater where tonight's performance will take place. Your name is Marguerite Zell, and you are a world-famous dancer from the Netherlands. Your dance company arrived late last night to Bali. It's part of Indonesia, an island filled with Hindu temples, beaches, jungles, strange music, and magic. Your dance troupe quivers beside you with excitement and nerves. Dame Moma, the troop leader, is vigorously arranging and giving final orders to the newest dancers backstage. Your friends Scarlett, Anna, Ruth, Cleo, and Bella line up, stretching and running through their breathing exercises. It took your troop a week to reach Bali by steamship from Thailand. It's 1915, and it's not common for young women to adventure alone. So you stay together and follow the rules. Everyone in your troop comes from different countries in Europe where World War I is raging. Most people are not dancing or traveling with ease. You are very fortunate to be on tour. Tonight is the biggest audition of your life. In the crowd are scouts for the opera at La Scala in Milan, Italy. If you do well, they select you for the princess dance, and you'll perform in front of the largest, most influential crowds of your career. This is your night, Matahari, Dame Moma says to you in a hushed, insistent whisper. You are already famous all over the world under your artistic name, but you agree with the Dame. This is a night that could change your whole career. It's showtime. You adjust your maroon silk costume embroidered with pearls. You pin your hair up in a snake-shaped crown. Your first dance is a dance in praise of the Balinese rice goddess. The live gamelan band cannot perform as promised due to a holiday, but there is a recording, which is what you're used to practicing with anyway. When the lights go up, you think, the dame is right. This moment is your destiny, what you've been training for all this time. First up, the ballerinas do classic work. Then there's a number from Stravinsky, the new controversial composer. The crowd applauds wildly when you step onto the stage. So applaud, applaud, applaud. 
<laughs> you go Sando out on stage with veils flapping like colored wind. They're importantly dressed people in the front row. You know they are enchanted by your talent. You dance well, but not perfectly. Something feels wrong. At the intermission, you realize what it is. Althea, the youngest of your troop and sweetest friend, is missing. You alert da the day MoMA immediately, and you see she's already noticed, which makes you angry. Stop the performance, you shout, thinking of young Althea alone in this very wild place, lost or worse, kidnapped. Listen to me, Margarita. We must not panic. The police have been alerted. It will endanger all of us if you rush out into the jungle by yourself. She looks out the empty stage for a moment and the crowd waiting for the dancers to return. We are performers and we must still do our job. You can't mean we will still perform without Althea, you gasp. Dame Moma gives you a very stern look. There are many foreign visitors here in Bali for the first time tonight, and we cannot cause alarm. You must continue the performance and show no fear on your face. You do as the dame says and smile for the crowd when you return to the stage. When you close your eyes mid-dance, you see your friend crying somewhere. You cannot help but think, I must find her. When the troupe comes on stage to finish the piece, you realize this is your moment to do something. Everyone is distracted, and you can dance off stage and dash toward the exit. You stop just for a moment. If you leave, you will lose your chance at becoming a star. All right, so two choices. If you dance off stage and escape to find Althea, um, we're going to turn to page seven. If you keep performing, we're going to turn to 19. And can you see what the slide numbers for those? I just see what it thinks. Okay, so who's dancing off stage and escaping to find their friend? Raise your hand. Okay. And who is a true artist and that will stay and perform? <laughs> All right, friendship wins. Yes. <laughs> You hear the music cue for you to exit the stage. The other dancers enter to create the living garden part of the piece. Now is your chance. You leave the stage as if nothing is wrong and dash past the distracted stage manager to the backstage door. Quickly, you pull a veil from your costume, nodding around the doorknob. Using all your muscle, you yank the scarf and break the lock. You dart like a thief outside on the cobblestone street just as the music changes. It is dark. You must not get caught and so keep moving. But where to start? You hear music in the distance and head in that direction. Perhaps Althea did the same. You run off in your costume and dance slippers, rough stone under your feet. You're panting when, blam, you stumble into something. Oof, that stings, you moan, stopping dead in your tracks. You look up and see a peculiar, robust man with a white beard. 
Whoa there, <laughs> sorry about that, the man says, pulling out an exquisite gold chain and blunt-edged round object. It's unusual and definitely not a pocket watch. Ouch, you rub your forehead where you smash against the talisman. That really smarts. He spins the chain and somehow switches on a flashlight. He shines it on your forehead. You'll have a bruise there as he as his fingertips touch the spot. The throbbing stops. He continues, but I can tell the inside of you something is actually wrong. Do tell me, for I am Monty the Magnificent. I can help you, you know. Can you help me find my friend Althea? You blurt out and explain the situation. Oh my, that is quite frightening. But trust me, I know what to do, says Monty. Stand here beside the white wall of this cafe. He lifts up the talisman and switches a gear to show you what appears to be a projection aiming at the cafe's wall like a cinema screen. You see Althea in a dark purple room. The air is waving like water. You can't tell if she's comfortable or about to drown. Wow, how did you do that? Is that a timepiece? Is it magical? I'm a magician and spy master. This is the only one of its kind, he states. This all-seeing tool I created will help us find her. Monty holds up the piece to his eye. It shines, blinding you. You know there are explanations for most illusions from your time on stage, and you might not have time to waste on simple tricks. Maybe the music you heard was a better clue than the stranger in his fortune-telling watch. All right. So we're going to follow the music in hopes of finding your friend, or do you stick with the man who has some magic? First choice. Follow the music and go solo. Stick with the strange man with some magic. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you the slide number in a second. <laughs> Come with me. I have other friends that can help. We'll train you quickly to become a top spy. He brings you to a beach house with hammocks and a bamboo porch, a room full of tools and drying herbs. He teaches you the plants around the beach and how to collect them and dry them. Then he makes a concoction and tells you, drink this, Matahari. It will help keep you strong. You sip it, finding it warm and comforting. Monty keeps talking plants. The rest will be for the other operatives to show you. But this, this you must see. He lifts up the strangest looking flower, a science fiction flower, one with an inviting mouth. While you cannot have the all-knowing timepiece, I can leave you with this tip. See this flower? It is a Venus flytrap. It can attract and eat insects. Be like the flytrap plant. Be like Venus. Anyway, you'll have to wait here. I have to go on my next mission. The operatives will arrive to help train you and be your guardians. And this is going to be 31. The room becomes very hazy. The jungle sounds warble. No, don't leave, Monty. Oh, Mata. But I've trained you well. Sort of. He snickers and trots off. You are so groggy. You can't tell how much time has passed. No one comes. 
Do you attempt to leave even though you're so woozy? You can barely make a decision. You're so sedated. You look around as the room fades. The flytrap is inviting, speaking to you. It sounds like it is talking to you. Come closer, you hear it say. You lean in to listen, but you waver. You are under the influence. Say that again, you say, holding it up to your ear. It curls its tendrils at you and flicks it in its innards. It sucks you in and eats you. The end. <laughs> oh, you guys want to go back? What choice should we go back to? Follow the man or stay in audition? Never leave the stage. Okay, spoken like a true artist. All right. Um, so you're going to stay and keep performing. <laughs> you wonder... You perform, telling yourself the police will find Althea. You work through the final dance without a hitch, even though you are worried. This is how professional you are, how focused you are in dancing. You shine in the grand finale. When the show is over, Dame Moma hurries you to the dressing room. The impresarios want to meet you, she says. Smile and nod at anything they say. This is a big break. A well-dressed man and elegant woman walk in. They look very refined and they intimidate you. I am Elsbeth the head of recruiting of all talent for the European opera circuit. This is Mr. Gabriel Astruck, the booking agent. We were very impressed by your dancing. The styles are so fresh. Yes, we need someone who can perform modern dances as well as classical. Yes, this is their strong suit to try new things. Dame Moma pushes you toward them, but you recoil. Something about the situation feels wrong. Come with us to Italy to star in the opera. Elsbeth pulls you toward her and Astrid leads Dame Momo away, asking her questions about her collection of music recordings. You realize Elsbeth wants to speak with you about the dame without the dame hearing. You'll be featured in the princess dance. You will be showered with praise and gifts. There will be more glorious costumes and a lot of hard work night after night performing for worldly audiences. Can my troop come with me, you ask? More time to find Althea, you're thinking. They are fine dancers and nothing like you, says Elsbeth. We will be inviting stronger dancers to join you on stage. But we did have one question about your dance troupe, Elsbeth says, lowering her voice. Elsbeth looks down at a dossier of paperwork she holds, shuffling through fancy tri-folded sheets. We did want to see one additional performer tonight, Althea. Where is she? Why didn't she dance? Something about Elsbeth's voice sounds not so innocent. You tug on your costume, thinking, could they know where she is? Perhaps if you answer them, you will help Althea. All right. So if you take a risk and tell Elsbeth what you know, we're going to just, you know, keep going. And if you do not say anything and go back to the troop, is you're not sure who to trust. And Elsbeth was actually, and Gabriel Astrick were um, act real people um, in, in Mata's life and, and talent managers. Um, if you do not say anything and just go back to your troop, raise your hand. If you take a risk and tell Elizabeth what you know, all right, let's keep going. (laughs) 
Althea's not here, you say to Elizabeth. She's been kidnapped. Do you know something about it? Not yet. We believe the dame had her kidnapped and that Althea wasn't the first. Mr. Astrak and I have been waiting, watching the dame. We think she was recruiting dancers to spy for the Germans, maybe forcing them to. She is ruthlessly damaging lives, Elsbeth explains. Oh, no, you say, letting the information sink in. You remember that at the beginning of the tour, two dancers had to go home for different reasons. No one ever heard from them again. Oh, yes. She approached us because we train spies expertly and she can fetch more money if you are already trained. We believe she insisted on you joining us because a deal was made for you to be taken. You gasp. It is good you came with us. Become highly trained so you can foil her or find Althea. End her before more of your friends are harmed, Ellsworth continues. My goodness, you don't know what else to say. Your dreams are important to you, but so is Althea. It's time to get some rest, Ellsworth says, and points to a luxurious bed. Tomorrow we train, but I'm a dancer, not a spy. You protest as you drift off to sleep. The next morning, Mr. Astrick and Elsbeth wake you up early to begin spy training. Margarita, this training may save your life, Astrick tells you. Your language talents are exceptional and you've traveled the world. You're going to be called into this war whether you like it or not, and we will prepare you. Well, they are experts, you think. It couldn't hurt to train. It can be no more grueling than your dance training. You agree to begin. Welcome to the jungle, sells Elsbeth, as she and Mr. Asterisk lead you over a dangerous-looking bridge. Here we begin phase one of what we call spy boot camp. First, we train you how to sabotage. They bring you to an obstacle course in the highlands. You are surrounded by cascading waterfalls, slippery rocks, bamboo towers, and fragrant flowers. You look up and notice ropes suspended from the trees. I've used ropes in my dance training with the troop, but never like this, you tell Elsbeth. After you fall a few times, you have to think and move like a saboteur, Elsbeth says. Over the next several days, they teach you to cut and not rope, pick locks, put puzzles together, all while clocked by a timer filled with sand. This is slide eight. Next, you learn basic survival skills. Your test is a night of camping solo. You are terrified. Elsbeth and Asterix teach you how to make smoke signals and swear they will be nearby to see them. You cry and you sleep alone and you cry, feeling unglamorous. You survived. This is just the beginning, Elizabeth says, when she retrieves you from the camp. Since you are so young and starry-eyed, no one will suspect you. You are already physically strong. You believe her, even though you are overwhelmed with all the new challenges. Phew, I thought I was never getting out of here, you say, relieved, when you return to your regular bed in Bali. You're exhausted but exhilarated. You, you begin phase two of boot camp, which is espionage, communications, and mental preparation, like how to hold a poker face and keep a secret. You learn how to handle important documents, how to create poisons, create coded messages and forged signatures. You learn how to slowly wave a fan to transmit a message, the art of eavesdropping, as well as how to secretly apply serums and poisons on forks and drinking glasses. You master all sorts of tools and contraptions and your favorite invisible ink. When can I use this ink? I really like my handwriting. Very soon, if you choose to chase the dame.
for phase three, you learn weapons. This is slide nine, next one. The blade and the boot, knives, grenades, explosives, and smoke bombs. Think of fighting the dame, Asterix says when you drop a knife. You think of Althea and you feel inspired to fight for her. Oh yes, I will do anything for my friends. I will do my best. You must pick one signature weapon to be most comfortable with. She shows you a poisonous hat pin, a special lipstick, a compact that expands into a ninja star. You pick the hat pin and say, oh, I know the ins and outs of these. My dad is a designer of the best fashion hats. Hat pin it is. Actually, he's a baron, you lie. Well, everyone called him that, but then he went broke. You tell the truth. Then you lie again. Really, I'm an orphan. I mean, I don't look Dutch. I'm likely a lost Indian princess, actually. Margarita, you'd better learn to lie better. Like an expert, they scold you. You hope to become better at acting. You begin to believe spying is your calling. It's like a dance role, but with superpowers. But my dance name is Matahari, you point out. Can I use a new code name? You must. In all communications, you'll be known as H21 is true. We have located Althea through our intel, Elizabeth tells you one morning. She's in Europe, dancing and spying for the dame. It's time to begin your tr for your training to end and your real life as a spy to begin. They look at you sternly. Actually, you have another option, Mr. Asterix says, knowing you want to rush off immediately to find Althea. By now, you have all the tools to bring Dame Moma down. Stop her before she recruits any other spies. She's boarding the SS Orosova for Australia, and you could go ahead, the steamship, go aboard the steamship and take her down. You're confused and tired. Do you follow the intel that leads to Althea or go after the Dame? All right, so if you decide to head to Europe in search of Althea, we're going to go to slide 20. And if you choose to board the SS Orsova and try to stop the dame, we'll turn to slide 25. So who wants to go to Europe where Althea is like dancing and it's all pair? Okay. What about climbing aboard the SS Orsova in disguise and trying to stop the dame? Oof. It's a tough one. Someone should really yell out their choice. Cause <laughs> All right, 82. Okay, so slide 20. Isn't this just exquisite, you exclaim, when you arrive at La Scala Theater in Milan? You marvel at the Italian architecture, velvet red cushions, and golden box seats. You perform your heart out under chandeliers. On the days off, you are shopping and eating the finest food, but it's still so much work. Your feet are calloused. You receive many new gifts and add them to your Princess of the World costumes, always dripping in expensive fabrics, jewels, and cascading flowers. After several weeks performing... And wowing audiences, the papers are abuzz, hailing your talent as a star. You almost forget about Althea, as do the recruiters. They have you where they want you. You're making them money. You are more famous than ever. Finally, you're invited to perform in Paris, the city of your dreams. This is slide 21. 
You arrive in Paris with hordes of fans tremendously excited to see you. You're a god with celebrity. It's the end of the Belle Epoque, meaning beautiful era. Paris is full of glamour, aristocrats, and the cultural explosions of salons, cabarets, restaurants, museums. Yet war rations and the losses of World War I are destroying this exuberance and innocence. Elsbeth and Mr. Astrick give you a tour of Paris, a city they've been to many times. Look, there's the Eiffel Tower on the Champ de Mars. Elsbeth tells you it was built for the World's Fair of 1889. Many people did not like it. It was shining and surprising. It made everyone feel awe, but it was very controversial. People thought it was ugly. It was almost destroyed. A radio antenna now is what saved the tower, and it can monitor the transmissions of war communications. Tonight, we're going to a very grand party where you will be introduced to high society. Perfect, you agree. All the socialites would be there. Be on your best behavior. Listen closely, Mr. Astrick instructs. They take you to a castle that's the home of Monsieur Emile Gimier, a wealthy collector of art. Welcome, welcome, Matahari. What an honor. Monsieur greets you. Inside is a stunning array of Asian and Indian art. You recognize Buddhist and Hindu statues from your travels. He lends you armbands, a breastplate, and a headdress from the collection for your costume. Come see the library where you will perform. You are escorted to a gorgeous room filled with art and books, as well as the most fascinating aristocrats of Paris, smart, fashionable women, the chocolatier Munier, Moliere, the circus artist, the composer Massenet, and the baron Henri de Rothschild, and Jules Cambon, the head of the foreign ministry. They are all smiling at you. You perform the dazzling dance of Inanna, a Sumerian goddess, wowing everyone. You bask in your popularity as the elite shower you with flattery. You are very talented. We adore you. They encircle you with admiration. Merci, merci. You speak in your very best French. My dance is a sacred poem in which each movement is a word, and every word is underlined by music. You wax poetic, trying to impress them. Kanban pulls you aside with urgency. Matahari, France needs a favor. We are on the good side of the war. You must trap one of your of our own, George Ledoux, the head of the Bureau of Counter-Espionage. He has turned on us and given out important intel to the enemy. He's giving the other side our secrets. Bureau? What is that? Like a bureau where you keep clothes? <laughs> it is a place in France where we spy on the spies. We gather intel to keep our soldiers safe. Ledoux is a traitor spying for the enemy. We need evidence to imprison him. What does it require? We'll send you to Berlin where you will gather intel on Ledoux by attending the ambassador's ball and performing. We'll train you to use tap dancing to send secret messages in Morse code. <laughs> Once you have the information we need, we will also reunite you with your friend Althea. Okay, so choice. To find out more about the ambassador's ball with Althea, we're going to go to slide 34. Or are you going to decide to not get involved and hope to keep performing in Paris, the city of your dreams? And that is slide 23. So do you go to Berlin, the ambassador's ball? Or, yes, or you want to stay in Paris, you know, because you're so super into it. No? Some of you, all right, Berlin it is.
Yeah, slide 34. Oh, right, yes. I want to be reunited with Althea. But why <laughs> go to Germany, you press them. And I don't know how to, I don't know tap dancing. Is that like clogging? Usually, our spies do not ask so many questions, says Kanban. Germany is where all the officials will gather, and Ledoux will be sharing all the officials. All, we'll be sharing intel with our enemies and tap dancing like Morse code. Create simple, long, and short sounds. We'll give you the shoes with metal taps on them to make them to make the sounds. It's a rhythmic dance from America, a mix of clogging and the Juba dance. Now, the ball will take place in the Pergamon Museum, which is new and under construction. If there's danger, you can slip to safety through the huge ice box in the back that will lead you through to the museum's exit. The icebox, you are not sure. All this sounds so unfamiliar. Our people have already worked something out. This food cooler, it'll have a trap door to escape through. Now, listen closely. You could get squeezed, trapped, or even freeze to death in there. Quickly, you must pull the largest shelf. It will shift into an opening that will lead you to a secret hallway. Will this mission make me famous, you ask? You are leaving so much behind. Yes, there's a Medal of Honor in it for you. Hmm, you mutter, you've enjoyed Paris and not felt any of the danger and uncertainty he describes. Well, I do love learning new dances, an American one at that, but gosh, it's so new. At least I know Morse code, you say, hoping you remember it well enough from your training. Tap is brand new to Europe. You'll be among the first to dance it here. Being the first tap dancer in Europe excites you, but you usually have more time to perfect new dances. Could you harm the reputation of your talent if you try this brand new dance for the first time under pressure? If you accept the mission of the ambassador's ball and tap dance, we'll turn to 61. And if you decide to reject the assignment because you cannot tap dance... We'll go to 132, see what happens. So, you want to tap dance? Who's into it? All right. And this. Farewell, Paris. Do not forget me. I shall return. You say sobbing dramatically from the seat on the train. At least you are finally to be reunited with your best friend. You arrive in Berlin, another exciting city. You meet Althea at the Alexanderplatz, the central transit station. Althea, you cry, and you embrace each other. You catch up on all that's happened while you have been apart and how both of you have turned from a life of dance to a life of spying. You and Althea ride around in the brand new electric tram looking for Museum Island where you are to rehearse your assignment. The tram is so weird, Althea notices. It's connected to the railway by wire and powered by electricity. It rattles a lot and you're busy laughing with your pal. You get lost in the city. Okay. And I think I'll st we'll stop the adventure there. Um, Needless to say, um, that thread you don't you you don't you can't tap dance the Morse code correctly, which doesn't sound the the right message, and you end up being chased by Ledoux, who I want to say um, is the person that framed Matahari in real life, and he was at he sent her to trial. 
He sent her to prison. She got terrible, like, tuberculosis. She kept writing letters. She was a big letter writer, and she kept hoping that someone would, like, free her. There wasn't really any evidence when they went to trial that could really convict her. Um, And about a few years ago, like, the court documents were opened up to the public. So there has been feminist biographers that are recapitulating, you know, the story of Matahari not being a spy, but she was really a victim of misogyny. Um, and Ledoux was the a-hole that, like, really went after her. And so in this book, I need, it was very important to me that she kill, that you kill him, um, <laughs> which, like, continues on that thread. Um, and also it was really important to me to, that she, um, not die the way that she was killed, which was by execution. Um, and you can't really point guns in a choose book, you know, to children, but also it seemed, um, very interactive for me to be in dialogue with her and try to give her a childhood back that was literally like taken from her. Um, and that she, before she was a mail order bride and ha- felt like she had to marry a Dutch um, colonist, this man who was also terribly abusive and an alcoholic and brought her to Indonesia and isolated her there. But she had gone to, um, and I love that I can like share this part of her real life with adults. Um, she had gone to teacher school, as would have been the case in the late 19th century for young women who wanted, could be only really become teachers, right? And the principal, there was an affair with the principal. Um, and of course, who was to blame? A young teenage Matahari. Um, and then that meant that she was tarnished and so couldn't continue to pursue her education. And so she, this is like really a story about in terms of my own creative process of like giving her new life. Um, so I hope that you maybe pick up a book after and, um, ask me any questions, um, during the Q and A about her fascinating life or what that was like to write about someone who was controversial and, um, you know, essentially had to write, couldn't write about her real story, which was the only way to escape Indonesia. Um, and this abusive relationship was to like get to Paris. You could kind of be a young woman in Paris. And, um, and that meant that she was an artist a figure model and then she rode horse in the circus and somebody said you should really try dancing and so this whole explosion of cabaret life and um, exotic dancing kind of was like the perfect storm and she said that she was uh, a daughter of you know like a an Indonesian or she was a princess of Indonesia and that she could dance the temple dances of Shiva um, which because it was religious she was able to do essentially what was the striptease and become, became like wildly popular, uh, and famous as a dancer. Um, and was also very used to a glamorous lifestyle by the time the horrors of World War One really, um, populated Europe. But because she was Dutch, she was able to travel a lot, um, and was performing in a way up till the very end. Um, so thanks for listening to that. It's like kind of interesting always to read um, 
that type of work. Um, okay, I thought what we do next, if Nina has three symbol packets, so just like three people put up their hands, there's essentially you're going to be holding, I'm going to read a few poems, and then you are going to pick their three symbols in each of these packets, and do your best to just, like when you feel you, we're ready to go somewhere else, um, hold up a symbol to me. And the three symbols in here are, um, can you just, yeah, maybe hold. Okay. Oh, I got it. Okay. This. Okay. Let's do that one last. There's the maze symbol. This is the poems that take place in ancient Crete, um, in the labyrinth, the goddess Ariadne. This is, you want to know what this is? <laughs> this is the tripod. Um, for the Sibyl, who was the oracle at Delphi and other places in ancient Greece. And this is the Sibyl <laughs> for ancient no one. All right. So we'll see. We're going to start in with the tripod. So these are poems from a Sibyl society. And we'll start in the waiting room, which was a real area where people would come to the, the oracle to get advice or information. And really, whatever she spouted was interpreted. Um, so in a way, she's like her own interactive <laughs> fiction. Like people just made up, you know, what they, in a way, what, what they were interpreting from her in the waiting room. Celibacy is my zone, guys, fasting alone via literate hoodlums, supported by loam sisterhood. Scholars will wander at the elevated vulva, bow to appalling instrument or a plectrum that makes speech, and applaud sex with gawkers so that I may be upright on the hyped-up tripod that emanates herb fumes, the pneuma tiding either as gas or water. Plutarch thought emissions we can wordplay, but I am dancer sweet, and my sweat stature blazes the turntable. Watch my lips hit the pipe. Woe, it rousels my crotch. We're encradled in the mountainscape, thesauri dot future stairways. App and edge. Many believe the spell accentuates the end of felting on earth, where woeful band of scraggly whatnots cling to life on sets. A plane of implications erupts in a species, evidenced by decreasing codexes. Riddles I spew, loop in honor of my most moat, while whimpers the king who spoons a necrotic past. A Sibyl society. So over those curious pilgrims untied to particular locations, we are onerous, yet we travail the countryside offering psychic services for a small fee so that your frat imagines a variety of methods at our disposal. Direct enthusiasmos, a.k.a. trance obsession, dream interpretation, the casting of crap, dice, or knuckleheads to predict this hella gratuitous reading 
mimic the flight of birds or the movement of sacred animals. My sisters, sorry, we're all scrying, interpreting, interpreting the emails of sacrificial victims than consulting certain message texts. Delphi selfie. Ramrod set up that tripod while they quarry rubble and develop strange rules to create great scholar wonder at the vein gas earth talk. It tickles until nonsense mouth. They pluck speech, then reason from me, the mama, because quenched is the speaking water also after a long and intense conditioning of me alone. Vestal drones fasting to practice pity or pith. Sisters, know thyself. Others, can you maybe operate my tassel? For I may be dilly-dallying in the antechamber, shoving plants up my shelf beforehand. Okay, let's see a vote here from our symbol holders. And we'll determine if we stay with the oracle and find out more about the oracular if we move on and yes here we go to Crete excellent they're not unrelated all right so to me Crete and the story of the Minotaur in the middle of the labyrinth this is very much what I I see if you and you study the palace at all at Knossos, which is probably what the labyrinth is or was, um, is a very choose your own adventure feel to it because the idea, right, of the labyrinth or a maze. Um, and, and there at the palace, um, there are like these labruses that actually look like axes, um, axe figures, and that is where the word laborous and labyrinth come from. So this is labyrinth synth. Liar maiden, weirdo dancer, I dress my creature stature, I accept myself, warped as I am, grabbing a hashtag out of group grope. In it, the lost formula of a country I repeatedly pet. When the invaders come, they won't know I hit them with a simulation system. They won't fit the frequencies anymore, yet I thread the thread. Heck, I invented it to lead us out of the cray. <laughs> Along the way, <laughs> I slurp up the preponderance of toxic bull and invoke a hero complete with papyrus-charged gifts, a weft often ignored by lame patriarchs who could not get off and instead go to war. And this is an Ariadne who is who helped Theseus slay the Minotaur and was um, a force of her own. An Ariadne come to create here here a sound economy where we wear an axe as access, whirl a red fleece to seek and see this place all about being lost. But darn, a precocious thread in a bull cabinet. And if he comes from a long time ago, write a release of me, ocean floored crown thrown up to vision board and create. I am known in honey. I snake the dead on the ship. The youth repeat throes of labor. The twine has an eye, yet nary a needle meddles. 
I amaze you. But if left pregnant, I create as all get out, as lady honey of this palace. If we seed the speakers, I will comment again, cement the laborious, honor me further. Father is a lightning guide. Are you awake, sire? I said to the dead bee, invited to the viewing. Oh, master octave, mind the freeway to awake one's ride. So what if that sound is all around pearl purity? Treat the treat as trending codex, brackets a home. Several pods need my body that denotes a giving economy. Also a number of activities at all times, in all entrances, an innocuous meantime. So let's trample maze lines and just trust. If I am seen writhing, it is official. Feisty disc. And then another part of Create was the Feistos disc, which is a example of um, a pre-Minoan even writing. And they, there's other um, text there that is, we don't know what it is, um, Linear B. And it's just a whole mystery. Um, feisty disc. Fine mine, I beg you. Surrounded in lost smoke while I hounded rare peridot and mount the unknown. A language open now for hot deciphers until ancient puncture, remember it, consists of a sap quality, a kin, a jade chamber. So just tap your fingers, plugging one end, the other in production of bracketed glyphs, still loops, still lips, loop a sinker, deafening outside my unburied orgasm. Um, let's vote. For symbols, do we stay in Crete or go on to? Yes, you guys are all in sync. Ancient, no one. All right, where is this? Uh, mm -hmm. And then, like, literally, I'm just gonna pick. We don't know what it is. Aha! Mm. Consent, you shithead. <laughs> hey, bro, any, any transgression against OG gods is a sebia, is a crime for which the death penalty exists. So keep it real. If you steal a dedicatory gift, mutilate statues, pollute the temple, or betray the mysteries, say goodbye to your beer pong and headphones and fragile chalice of a hard drive. Make love, not wall. Dude, deep in your frontal lobe, a brawny torch reboots trampolines. Having now applied the illusion theory, we've stopped carving disputes so that healing begins. Sophisticated friend images visit, sends the writer bums in, having burned today's stargate. As the dead figure docks rebellious types with neoprene headdresses, shucked from the great flood, rise, rise, rise in the king's chamber. Made of royal cubits, I access the structure of seven bloodstained suns and gypsum fun. The gods are all always face as if they're looking out. Therefore, set additional seal stones, which leads us hotties to remembering a natural rock hard ontology. Wait. 
let's not lose the target and apply this to the other, the wetter side of the palace. All haters halt. My witch site, a fermata or moon anchor, for the field is made not by mind, but by making out. So fuck came strong. Simply melt the gnawbone of a question into my bronze pool to induce the answer. I so, so, so succumb to that notion. Never mind that I dominate monster codes until it concedes an orbit. I make the rogue stop, stop, stop that talk. Super gross, I guess, but I gut that rhombus. So come at us. Oh, you'd rather that I remake chords according to your hordes? Hold up. Leave those scales alone. Or I cut you with my instrument. Witch please. <laughs> Come back. We need you. Remember in Lemuria, we were a living memory. We kept posterity active in the reflective ether, having scraped resin. We made it to see the epics volt the synaptic mess. Oh, mean out many tokes to take us into shape. Lucky us, later the labyrinth became a club complete with a renovated dancing ground. We found therein all the tincture and a glyph deciphering kit. We dusted for fingerprints, for world recognition. We sold off stock to speak to each other without speaking. So could you be so kind as to visit the site, hold hands and download this link looping our mother back to us. One more vote. Stay an ancient no one. Return to the labyrinth. Go back to the oracle. Oh, we have one of each. Uh, one of each. One of each. Oh, okay. First, you win. <laughs> Dollar goddess. One question still unresolved is, who is that money dead person depicted being kind on that famed sarcophagus? Well, it is for sure universally identified as the spirit of a dead stewardess. Let's open that credenza and coincidentally cut out that man hero standing in the way of our tomb understanding. And Crete. Back to Ariadne. What's she up to? Mistress of honey. Uh, the first, actually, the first religious cults of, you know, Western civilization took place in Crete, and they were based um, on Zeus, Zeus born out of the cave of Crete, and they were honey-based religions. Um, and that sort of evolves into Dionysus and our grape-sort-of-infused religions, and, and then that, of course, you know, leads to about zero when we get Christ out of Dionysus. But first, we have it in the female, and we have it in honey. Mistress of Honey. 
I do, I do live in dream time, thoughts consumed by the mystery, wherein the mute can hear both a distant noise and a subsuming declaration or any emerging note, an antibacterial skin seal from the mom canal. Did the pastors know if they spent any significant mind sleeping that the living would convert and don shirts of a pleated and mountained cognition? a habit as incongruous as the pineal expulsion when dreaming a model of the groin in the folds? Do they plan for the symbol, avatars, to discover the keyhole and stick fingers in it, flicking a switch as we subsist in the mini veils, winning, we smushed up on the axis holographic of the idea itself, the battering hand gelid at first, than a bee shaking its pollen leg pouch after it entered the center, gently inserting nectar into an office like a word makes mud mutable for the nest by vibrating. And let's see what we have left. Soggy augury. And the auguries are just, you know, fortune telling. So um, it, with the sibyls, they were generally done with her speaking. Um, and these were generally, well, had to be virgins that were like essentially very young and trained to their whole life to become like a sibyl. And she sat upon this tripod. And we now know that at least at Delphi, there was like actual chemical gas from the earth coming up underneath the tripod, which maybe added to her nonsense mouth. Um, and then there are other ways that, you know, auguries are used and used today, right? Tarot cards, or they would like look at birds innards. So soggy augury. Despite these tweaks of the machine, the breeze is messageless. I throw sleepless tokens and pulp armpit energy to instruct num-nums toward banned ruins. By uttering into dens, I befriend any trending echo and throw ashes onto its soundboard to bear a giant luck. When the coven needs new oven, I craft an emoji with spigots of chronic froth. I hit the matrix for protection, make a junket from suburbs soaked in color. Blackouts beware. I saturate readers to bring stakeholders to their knees for our hunky-dory skeletons skirmish for one epic hard-on so the really regal spirits can finally articulate a blockhead heart. Thank you. I'm ready. I got, I'm, what sort of questions do you have or maybe have? What would you like to, those of you that can stay to know more about? Yes. Excellent. Thank you all so much. Yeah. And the only like reference I had to it, even though I guess it loses its credibility, is like the, you know the Netflix show Dangerous Oh yeah. Uh, I know that like it, it brought up an interesting idea of like 
how did you make a choose your adventure book and like not drive yourself insane? I did. I went insane. You can't really do it like sort of like Bandersnatch. Um, no. uh, it's it's there's actually like a, a process that involves a lot of outlining, and and then and I had different ways of doing those. Out there are many types of outlines. Um, so if, if I needed a visual outline to map it out, I would call it like a butterfly and start here with the first choice in the middle, like the body of the butterfly. And then if you go find Althea, you're branching out that way. And if you are staying to audition, you branch that way. But I like literally have to draw that out with each like flame, sort of having the page numbers and also summaries of what would happen. Um, and then so, and by the end, just like very cross-eyed and feeling like, I'm involved in a puzzle that is difficult and rewarding and probably like right for my mentality as a poet, I think, who's interested in a lot of things at once. <laughs> yes. Chloe Nicholas is her name, and um, she was just like drawing for Hallmark or something, like very young artist that now can freelance and just did a, um, probably overworked herself trying to like render these images, but we wanted Mata to have like this curious and, you know, fanciful like innocence, and I think she nailed it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I bet that's an influence of hers. I'm excited that for Houdini, the illustrator will be Ian Coveney. Do you know him at all? He uh, illustrates for PBS and The Alienist. So those are going to look, Houdini will look much more graphic um, and adult, so very different. And they, writing those two books were very, very different, too, and researching them. We know a lot more about Houdini, who is like, Around the same time, but so so good at self promotion and as a part of his act, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much Um, that's a great question. Um, like in, in essence, by contract, I had to have, I had to kill the reader, like half of the endings. <laughs> so that was like, um, that was a little bit difficult because I, I spend a lot of time, you know, with, ch with babysitting kids and like, you're trying to right when you have children, you're trying to like stop them from having any sort of anxiety, <laughs> but like, um, and choose your own adventure. Like they, you, 
you know, and in interactive fiction, I mean, you can, there's probably like three levels of outcome, the desired outcome, an outcome that's satisfying, and one, you know, that is the demise. Um, And so I was just sort of like playing with that, like generally they would all, the endings would let me know what they wanted um, from them. And in that way, in my opinion, like interactive fiction is anything that is like involve involving a parallel world involving choices something that you are in dialogue with um and with choose you have to be like historically accurate in that all the submarines in Manhari, all the technology world war one had to be like afloat at the time so with the steamship storyline I had a different steamship that like wasn't accurate because by 1915 a lot of the luxury liners were being used in the war so we had to like try to figure out what might still be actually afloat and then you know same with like the submarine you couldn't put a cell phone um in these in these books because um there's a historical accuracy but also at the same time you can any world you know can show up and you can make these decisions that are wild um so that really worked for me in terms of like imagination and some of the endings you know just i wrote them towards the end of the process so in some ways i had maybe a little bit less juice for them um and and like i said it's very you know difficult to keep track of and then um i'd also just in some cases right toward the ending and in linear fiction you are only have the option of one ending and that feels incredibly stifling to me now um and i found that interactive fiction is like much closer to poetry because how many of you enjoy poetry like just because you can flip around in it does anyone have that experience or moving backwards or forwards without a sort of rule of a linear um idea which i like you know resist um and resist politically so um and and the choose pages like i look eventually was just looking at them like poem the discrete poem a discrete poem like i stopped following you know i couldn't flip i would like literally write them and fix them like poem after poem rather than trying to go to page 84 to keep on going in the jungle and then go back and i just knew i was keeping all those worlds together at once yeah yeah and there's someone in the back um i just wanted to know so as a children's book you talk a little bit about um, maintaining the integrity of her life so i wanted to know a little bit more about the choice to make this a children's book versus um, and excluding some of the details in that in that way versus if you were to make it for a more mature audience which mm-hmm. is a little satisfying to explain some of the background to us when you're here so i just wanted to hear a little bit about that choice and how it would change if you were to write it for an older audience I mean, I think the work on Mata Hari isn't done and is just sort of like beginning. There's a wonderful film um, that was made by Susan Wolf in San Francisco um, and with a Dutch dancer. Came, I went to the opening in Santa Fe to watch the film um, and read, you know, 
I, I think she could have a YA novel, you know, in which she is like, you see her dealing with the men, and these were like very important men. And one of the theories about like her not being a spy was that she was so extravagant, boisterous, you wouldn't have a loud spy then. You would have had like the, a mousy, introverted, someone that no one noticed. Um, but because she, uh, you know, was with important men, you know, she got framed and, and she, she probably, she claimed that like no one told her what they were up to. This was the time for them to have a break, like from the war. I think that there's work to be done just from her, like a revisionist, you know, from her point of view, um, being that person and she also like wasn't able to stay a mother in order for her to like she didn't she wasn't able to win the remaining child back um and her husband uh mccloyd who was he was awful and he didn't allow that for her either and so like there's this like ton of tragedy and sadness and also um you know just some really exquisite an exquisite life, like at a time when women weren't given that kind of freedom and she was bold and courageous. And she probably did take money from the Germans. I mean, who had when at the, she was in Berlin when the war broke out and they like actually like confiscated her furs and she was like, no one can take my fur. So later when she was approached to spy on Germany, she probably did take the money but doesn't mean she spied. Um, but she was like mad at them for taking her fur. I mean, she, there were times she was making so much money at different times, like in her career. And then it all sort of fell apart as the war took over and the, you know, wasn't okay to be luxurious like that anymore. So yeah, thanks for asking. I'm not done with her. Um, in the back. Um, and the neighborhood that he had created and his um, in his striving to create a world that isn't sugar-coated for young audiences. And um, I know there's kind of a huge compromise of when we're talking with younger audiences and um, when we're trying to educate our, our children, our future generation, there's a lot of this censoring that happens as well. And so um, kind of, I was wondering what your journey with that was like, because similarly, I a lot of difficulty in approaching those sorts of methods and 
um, kind of that journey of um, creating the link between honest and authentic education versus um, what might be too far. That's um, insightful observations and like actually is really at the core of the most difficult part of the process, which was like facing my own understanding of um, the use of a body um, for survival and being a survivor and thinking about how at what age um, are those conversations like to be necessary um, and what a nine year nine to 12 is the mid grade, you know, range. So I had to really come to terms with like my own shame and my own understanding of um, like sexuality and how that she might be presented. And Matahari was like assigned to me too. So I'm like, okay, well, because Choose is doing the spy series. Um, and so there's like another book coming out with mine in the spring and a one, uh, um, uh, enslaved person who spied for Washington and it's like this really wonderful celebration of history and also the idea for me like was so much around and the poetry too like about embracing the feminine and embracing the unknown and embracing empowerment like and where choosing where to go and having a voice and having a choice um and that's what I love about like second person in these choose stories or interactive games is like that you are the protagonist, you're the hero. And I especially think for young kids that are, have suffered like trauma or maybe aren't finding a voice or aren't a great reader, they can have contact with these books and like gain something from it that felt like really important for me to be doing. But at the same time, I sort of had to like let go of the idea that like uh, my first book wasn't going to be a poetry book, that it would like catapult me into, you know, children's lit, which isn't really seen as like literary. And to do that was like incredibly liberating, but I had to sort of like, I mean, I went to Matahari's hometown and I had in the Northern Netherlands and I had to like walk in her footsteps on the cobblestone and really sort of like imagine what it would be like to be female a hundred years ago um, and be, you know, a survivor and, and also an, an artist and ex- full of expression in a world that was like really antithetical to that for women. So... Anyone else? Well, thank you all so much. This is just really lovely for me. And I'll be signing books outside there, I guess. So, yes, you know it. Thank you.